Simply Complex is brought to you by the YouTube channel How to Make Everything and Studio 71. Here's what we have coming up today. But there is a big secret about pumpkin spice. Turkeys are very, very tricky, and you need to shoot them in the head. Magic. Yeah, all the magic pumpkins. Crack open the nuts and separate out the nut meat. It went viral as a gif into the water, and there was that that moment of panic, like, I'm drowning, I'm gonna die. I have thrown it up, like, at least eight times, and that's probably the highlight of the trip. That's super adorable and also disturbing. Hey, I'm Taylor. I'm on my way to meet Andy. This is what he sounds like. Hi, my name is Andy. Welcome to Simply Complex. This week, it's estimated that over 50 million Americans will be traveling over 50 miles to visit family and friends and celebrate Thanksgiving. So I thought I'd start this off traveling myself. But first, I need to make a pit stop. In 1,000 feet, turn left. Hello and welcome to Starbucks. What can we get for you? Hello, could I have a medium pumpkin spice latte? Sure thing. Anything else? That'll be all. Bye, Vithoi, thank you. Thank you. We have a great episode for you today. We're gonna be talking about Thanksgiving, pumpkins, and we'll even give you a couple ideas of ways to deflect conversations about the midterms at your Thanksgiving dinner. Hello there. Hello. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. All right. This is going to be my first pumpkin spice latte of the year. And don't worry. It's the week of Thanksgiving, so it's completely appropriate. In today's modern world, we are always in such a hurry. We rarely stop to think about the things that keep the gears turning. On Simply Complex, we explore the people, technologies, items, and processes that, while at one point were considered outstanding, have today become so commonplace, we take them for granted. All right, let's see how this tastes. Oh yeah, that's that's a good pumpkin spice latte. While we are looking into pumpkins and Thanksgiving and how they're all tied together, Brian took his nephews out to hunt some pumpkins. When you think about pumpkins on Thanksgiving, you think pumpkin pie. But just like the changing leaves on the trees trigger our brains into fall mode, the arrival of pumpkins at Halloween let us know that pumpkin pie is not too far away. How interesting that right before pumpkin pie season, there's this holiday that requires millions of fresh pumpkins to hit the market. Is this coincidence? Or is it a long-tail conspiracy coordinated by the pumpkin lobby to keep pumpkins a viable commodity? Things to ponder. This past Halloween, I took my nephew and his friend pumpkin hunting for the very first time. Since I don't have kids of my own, I'm not often around the wide-eyed perspective of a young person. So I was surprised when I heard the criteria of a 12-year-old in finding the perfect pumpkin. Have arrived. Have arrived at the place of the Pumpkins! <laughs> the steps to finding the perfect pumpkin are as follows. One, establish your search criteria. 
very lots of pounds. What are your criteria when you're looking for the pumpkin that you want? I usually like pumpkins around the middle. For me, I want it to be either as big as possible or as small as possible. And if it's as big as possible, then I can hug it better. Two, narrow the scope of your search. It has lots of bumps. Looks like an old man, almost. Whatever that Gourds means. look better with bumps and pumpkins don't. I'd agree with that statement. And three, weigh all your options and make your decision. So now it's time for you guys to pick your pumpkin that you're gonna take with you. <gasps> oh my gosh, this is amazing. <sighs> looks good. It looks very good. How huggable is it? Let me test. Right, <laughs> it's the hug test. <laughs> it's very huggable. It is like perfectly huggable. You wanna get that one? We shout. Okay. We shout get it. Can, we get, can I get another one for pie? Yes. Yes. Good. Okay. All right, so you got two. Yeah. All right. Now that the perfect pumpkin is found, it's time to check out. We've done well. We've done very well. $35 later, and we're on our way home. I'm not sure if these pumpkins are going to make it all the way to Thanksgiving. But I can tell you one thing, I'm for sure doing this again next year. That was really good. I'm glad I waited the appropriate amount of time. But there is a secret about pumpkin spice that you may not know. So let's go talk with Andy, and we'll tell you more. Happy Thanksgiving, Andy. Happy Thanksgiving. November is almost over. Do you know what that means? It's almost winter. You can start hibernating. Yeah, but it also means that it's finally the okay week to be all excited about pumpkin spice. That's limited to one week? Yep, just like Christmas music. <laughs> Sounds appropriate. <laughs> Do you have any big plans for Thanksgiving, Andy? Just eating Thanksgiving dinner with my family. Is there any particular dessert you look forward to on Thanksgiving? Yeah, the, the pies. Do you have a favorite pie? Kind of like all the pies. Usually there's just a selection and I'll ask for like just a little bit of all of them. I'm one of those boring people. I really like pumpkin pie. And so when this pumpkin spice thing got huge, I was like, I'm going to try a pumpkin spice latte. And... I thought it was really good, and so I'd get them for a while. I could only ever handle a couple per season, and then they just kept getting, like, introduced earlier and earlier. <laughs> but there is a big secret. Well, it's not really a secret, but there is a little-known fact about pumpkin spice. There's no actual pumpkin in pumpkin spice. I was so surprised when I found this out. What is actually used to make pumpkin spice? So it's the normal spices you would put into a pumpkin pie. Cinnamon, nutmeg, ginger, cloves, um, and then you just put that into a latte with lots of sugar. And food coloring. Yeah. And then, ta-da, we have fake pumpkins for pumpkin spice. Do you know where pumpkin spice actually came from, though? I don't. So when Cinderella was going to the ball, she had a cup of tea in her hand. And so when she got into the pumpkin carriage, uh, it magically turned into a pumpkin spice latte. I'm going to need a fact check on that one. Oh, no, it's it's real. <laughs> I promise. So do you also like pumpkin pie? Yeah, I feel like it's a staple of the holiday, and uh, I enjoy having it. My favorite part about pumpkin pie is we always would put it in the fridge overnight after Thanksgiving, and then I would have it cold for breakfast the day afterwards. For breakfast? Yeah, because I felt like, hey, this is like a squash thing. <laughs> I can justify this. <laughs> It's a bit of a stretch, I think. <laughs> oh, it's okay, though. With whipped cream, even? Oh, yeah. With whipped cream, even. <laughs> it's like milk. It's like cereal. Yeah, 
It's totally, it was better than cereal. Come on. <laughs> How do you eat your pumpkin pie? So usually cold, warm, room temperature, or right out of the oven? Uh, I think it's usually room temperature. Have you ever tried it cold? No. We might have to change that. <laughs> it's amazing. Really? And a great part of your balanced breakfast. Do you have a pumpkin spice latte with it? That would be too much pumpkin. <laughs> no, it's only one of them has pumpkin. Oh, that's true. If I got a piece of pumpkin pie, put it in a bowl, and then poured a pumpkin spice latte <laughs> on it, that would be the truest balanced breakfast. I could see you turning this into a new uh, breakfast cereal, like the, the Oreos, except it's pumpkin pies, just little pieces of pumpkin pies. Oh. So have you ever eaten any other pumpkin products? At the like, grocery store after Thanksgiving when falls over, I see like the discount bin with a bunch of pumpkin-flavored stuff that does not seem appealing at all. They yeah, like pumpkin salsa and pumpkin cider, and I, I think I've tried a few of those. Okay. They weren't very good. Pumpkin salsa sounds so weird. Yeah, it was. <laughs> was it just pumpkin, like whipped pumpkin? or No. Is there tomatoes in it too? Yeah, it was like a regular salsa with pumpkin mixed in. Oh, weird. So it's like the mango salsa, except instead of mango, yeah. it was pumpkin. Yeah. That's strange. We'll have to try to find some. <laughs> I've actually had some pumpkin soups and chilies, mm. which were super good. We, we just tried this last year, I believe, and there was just something about it that instead of using potatoes or squash or just like mixing those all together, the pumpkin flavor was actually, instead of like a spicy chili, it just kind of felt more of like a stew. Mm. Highly recommend that. I feel like fall comes around... And they harvest all these pumpkins, and then they're like, what do we do with them? Well, let's just put it into everything and see what works. Have you d ever done any projects with pumpkins for how to make everything? Yeah. This year I grew a couple pumpkins to make the actual jack-o'-lantern and then use the seeds to press them to get an oil, which are then hydrogenated like you would to make margarine to make a, a wax to make the candle out of pumpkin. Yeah, that's a step I would never have thought of. <laughs> Oh, I've been driving a while, so maybe it's time for a break. When we come back, Brian shares some interesting political history about Thanksgiving. All right, I need to change lanes here. Oh, we also talk a little bit about pumpkin history as well. See you soon. In your research of jack-o'-lanterns, what did you learn about pumpkins? They are actually native to Americas. And the seeds were found in Mexico dating back at least 7,000 years ago. And they're a type of squash. But in the early 1900s, pumpkin processing plants opened up in Morton, Illinois area and made it kind of the center of production for pumpkins. And this is what has made uh, Illinois the largest producer of pumpkins, harvesting around three to five as many pumpkin acres as any of the other top states. So as everybody knows, when you think of pumpkins, Illinois. Pumpkins equal Illinois. Yes. And that's according to the USDA, actually. However, Illinois doesn't make all the magic pumpkins. Magic? Yeah, all the magic pumpkins. We don't know where those come from, but we want more. <laughs> because pumpkins were native to the Americas, uh, it became a staple in the diet. Uh, one of the articles I found talked about an old folk song where they were, there must have been a famine and they had to survive on pumpkins. And so it was like pumpkins in the morning, pumpkins for lunch, pumpkins for dinner. It was like, I don't want any more pumpkins. Uh, but I could, I mean, pumpkin pie, I could, I could eat for all the meals, but I don't know how many days I would last, but they are actually healthy. They do have a lot of vitamin A and fiber. And there's a few other health benefits, but those are like the, the usual ones that are, mm -hmm. are. So since you know, it's native to America, was it served at the very first Thanksgiving? Uh, I wasn't there, so I don't know. 
You weren't? <laughs> no, I wasn't. Do you know if they were at the first Thanksgiving? So there wasn't an actual pumpkin pie or anything like that, but both the uh, pilgrims and the Native Americans in that area both ate pumpkins. So it's likely they, uh, they served some sort of squash or pumpkin at the first Thanksgiving. Yeah, I'm sure we, it could kind of be similar to a sweet potato if you prepared it the same way. Yeah. So that makes more sense to me. I don't know why we never ate it like that growing up. But as it's an American tradition, I found it was super interesting that China actually makes the most pumpkins. What? Yeah, because there's more people in China. And then India, second most people, second most pumpkins. And the United States is actually only the fifth largest producer of pumpkins, even though they're native to the Americas. But because of their health and dessert qualities, there are tons of recipes you can try. I found uh, an article on Taste at Home that has a bunch of really cool pumpkin-included pumpkin recipes. With all this pumpkin talk, do you think you're going to eat more pumpkin products this year? Yeah, I, I think I'm a little curious now to try out a few new ones. It seemed like your eyes perked up when I said pumpkin chili, because I've seen you making chili around the studio. Yeah, that's that sounds like it could be good. Salsa seems a bit of a stretch, but like chili... I could see that. It was awesome. I'm gonna. Tr- we're gonna try to make it again this year. I'll let you know how it goes. All right. With all that's going on currently in our nation, you may be dreading the thought of politics making an appearance at Thanksgiving this year. But here's a thought: Should your drunk uncle start spouting off about the midterms, why not divert the political conversation to the politics of Thanksgiving? That's right. When we think of Thanksgiving, it's usually about the pilgrims and Native Americans who greeted them on this continent. But Thanksgiving as a national holiday throughout history was a bit of a political football. We won't delve into how things evolved between the pilgrims and Native Americans here, though that is a whole other story. Although President George Washington proclaimed the first national holiday of Thanksgiving in 1789, it wasn't celebrated annually nor consistently on the same date for quite some time. For the first half of the 1800s, presidents would appoint various dates as a national holiday of Thanksgiving in an attempt to bring the country together during periods of war or civil unrest. It was in the middle of the greatest political upheaval of our country, the Civil War, that most likely prompted Abraham Lincoln to proclaim Thanksgiving as a national holiday to be held every year on the last Thursday of November. That ritual held until 1939, when, during the Great Depression and under pressure by the retail industry, President Franklin Roosevelt moved Thanksgiving a week earlier to extend the Christmas shopping season. This put him at odds with his Republican Congress, who said it was an affront to the memory of Lincoln. That next year, November 23rd was called Democrat Thanksgiving, or Franksgiving, and November 30th was called Republican Thanksgiving. But thankfully, in a show of bipartisanship that we can all hope to see again, in 1941, Roosevelt and his Congress came together to designate the fourth Thursday of November, Thanksgiving forevermore. So Thanksgiving is a holiday where inevitably somebody is stuck in the kitchen all day making the meal completely from scratch. Can you imagine if that person not only had to cook everything from scratch, but they also had to grow and source everything from scratch? Well, that's what Andy did. And we'll be talking about that project and also a vegan alternative after the break. The average American spends around $50 on a Thanksgiving meal and around eight hours to actually make it. But if you really wanted to be cheap and lazy, you could easily make it in just 15 minutes for under $25. 
But what if you wanted to take it to the other extreme by hand harvesting all of your own ingredients? Well, let's find out. So I brought Andy back into the studio to talk about the time where he made Thanksgiving dinner completely from scratch. Yeah, so that was actually it was our first project we did specifically for YouTube. Before that, all of our content had been intended for local television, which we first started out on. This was the first one after we kind of transitioned and found a new home there. Like around October, we decided, let's do Thanksgiving. It gave us about a month to do it and to kind of try and get everything set up. We had a hard deadline of getting it up before Thanksgiving. It was kind of an opportunity to revisit some of the things with the sandwich, where instead of like growing things, we might visit a few farms. I could do things like the sugar beets, which I tried to grow for the sandwich, but never was able to get them to sprout. So um, I was excited to be able to revisit that and actually harvest some. What were the sugar beets for? The sugar beets were for the cranberry sauce, which is basically two ingredients, more or less, cranberries and sugar. Mm-hmm cranberries we got to stop in wisconsin at the supposed capital of cranberries warren wisconsin we got to catch them when they're mid-harvest i thought it was interesting is that cranberries don't actually grow in a pond they're actually dry and it's just when they're ready to harvest they flood it and then the cranberries will float and that makes it easier to harvest that's why every picture i see or video i see of cranberries is just in a huge bog mm-hmm. and it's all kind of controlled so it's lots of lands that like they can control the flooding and make it really efficient. They didn't give me a set of waders, but I didn't let that stop me. <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> the, what happened next is kind of the uh, second viral occurrence that I ran into. And it, this one, it went viral as a GIF, which is not directly connected to us. I feel like there's a lot of people out there who have seen it, but they don't know it's me. Yeah. And the story behind it is we shot all this great B-roll of them harvesting the cranberries, and then it's like, well, I should probably get some myself. I guess I'll just reach down and like grab some from the bog. And it's got these steep cliffs on the sides of it because they flood it. I go down, a little wobbly, grab a couple, and, and then uh, Chris on the camera is like, let's do another take. I was like, okay. Go down a little bit more wobbly, grab it. Okay, cool. We're good, right? Like, one more time. <laughs> Do it again. And I just started to lose my balance, and I started to go forward, and I start grabbing for whatever I can, and there's nothing there, and I just go head first <laughs> into the water, and there's that, that moment of panic of, like, I'm drowning, I'm going to die. And then I finally, like, got something I could hold on to and pull myself back out. And if you watch the full clip, I actually come out just laughing hysterically <laughs> at my own own fate. <laughs> yes, but some internet guru put it into a GIF. Mm-hmm. Do we, I don't know if we knew about it, but it had 2 million views or shares or something at that point. Yeah, I think I was just browsing Reddit and like, that's me. <laughs> I'm, I'm, that's me falling into a cranberry bog. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. We, I wish we could make that the artwork for this this episode <laughs> just that gift <laughs> then from the cranberries what was next then it was a stuffing okay for that we went to a slightly different direction where i grew wheat for my sandwich to make bread decided to explore an alternative which was acorns so look at the acorns we uh actually went to michigan which doesn't make sense because acorns are here but we we're also going there for sassafras for a root beer float episode so we're already working with this uh forager lisa rose so it worked out well. So we ended up taking the ferry from Wisconsin to Michigan, and it was almost canceled because of wind. We were going to be disappointed because then we have to take a long drive around the lake. Fortunately, they let us go on it. With large air quotes around <laughs> fortunately. Yeah. 
All right, so we just took a cruise across Lake Michigan. It made me super nauseous. Like I had no idea I would I would get seasick before this, but apparently I do. It's been horrible. And I just started vomiting over and over and over again. I have thrown, thrown up like at least eight times. And that's probably the highlight of the trip. Because after I throw up, I actually feel decent. Oh my God, I wish I was dead. It made me feel so nauseous. I like forced myself to vomit at times just to survive and not feel so horrible. And I remember just like sitting in the back of the boat waiting for it to get over. It was like a two hour ride. So it's like, that was probably the worst part is that like, oh, this is going to be bad. And now there's still two more hours of it left. <laughs> no. And guess what? We get to do it again and come back a little bit later tonight. Please kill me now. Yeah. Then we got off the boat and we met Lisa there and she was so sweet. She like was like, Oh no, that's horrible. And she like had like some herbal remedies ready for me for uh, an upset stomach. And I was like, that's oh perfect. yeah. And then I had to collect myself after vomiting my guts out. <laughs> <laughs> and then we went out and collected acorns and she showed me how to process them. I like to process my acorns uh, with the end result to make acorn flour. I end up using the flour in baking. I add it to hot cereals, smoothies for the added plant proteins and as a great carbohydrate. Is it basically equivalent to wheat flour? Very different to wheat flour. So wheat flour has the gluten. The acorn flour, of course, is a, is a nut flour. You have to compensate and adjust your quantities if you want um, it to be leavened or, or that sort of thing. What's the next step now to turn into the flour? So we'll just want to go ahead and crack open the nuts and separate out the nut meats. Can you just eat the nut meats like this? You know, most people think acorns are inedible because um, they're quite bitter if you eat them without leaching them first. And leaching uh, is the process in which you soak them in water, either hot or cold water, to extract the tannins. Because if you don't and just eat them raw, you can go ahead and give them a taste. That's bitter. <laughs> bitter, astringent, drying, and really quite tannic. And you're not going to really end up swallowing it. The leaching process, using water to leach the tannins out, will help extract the bitter flavors. The next step is grinding. A simple coffee grinder can take those nut meats to process them up into flour. And you can easily do, you know, several quarts of dried nut meats using a coffee grinder. And those can be stored then in the freezer and you can pull it out to use as needed. So then I used a coffee grinder like she recommended, ground the nut meat, as she called it, into a finer powder and then mixed it up with the flour and the butter and uh, baked it into loaf, then cut that guy up added in some herbs and some mushrooms and made this really delicious stuffing out of it. Mm, smells nutty. And after the stuffing, what was next? After that, we had the potatoes, which uh, is actually something I grow in, in my garden for my sandwich, but I didn't really end up using it. Um, I grew it because you're able to harvest the yeast from it. And I tried to harvest yeast to add, add for the bread as a leavening agent, um, which didn't really end up working super great, so I kind of just ended up cutting it out of the video. Um, but I, I had a bunch of potatoes I'd grown, so we were able to reuse them for this and mash them up and uh, made some gravy for them off of the next item, which is the turkey. Oh. So while the bread was in the oven, you went to kill the turkey? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly how it happened. <laughs> For help getting my wild turkey, I turned to Don Elwanger, owner of American Heritage Hunting Club, for some assistance on hunting my own turkey. 
So I'm here at a turkey hunt. How does turkey hunting compare to like deer hunting or other types of hunting? Well, turkey hunts are always adventures. You yeah. never know quite what's going to go on. It's never guaranteed. Turkeys yeah. are very, very tricky and okay. you need to shoot them in the head. Yeah. They have just huge bones and wings and that like body armor, unless you're very close to them, it's just not going to do much good. Are they pretty fast? Well, they're fast, but they're going to disappear and hide on you like, oh, yeah. like a piece of bark. Here comes your turkey. Hit him right in the head. Got him. It looks like I got him in the head. So a good, clean shot, I hope. Yeah, heard a couple of them. One yeah. miss? Yeah, I think I hit him with both. Pretty looking bird. He'll be a dandy one in the oven. <laughs> but before we butchered it, we had to defeather it and was doing that with all these feathers flying everywhere. Kind of the morbid thing with that, slash adorable, were all the kittens. And there's, he just has all these barn cats and little kittens. And as we're butchering the turkey and like removing organs and stuff, these cute little kitties are coming up and gnawing on like livers and stuff. And it was like, that's super adorable and also disturbing. Yeah, that's like a nightmare. <laughs> so that was the last and most important ingredient and ready to put it all together. So had you made a full Thanksgiving dinner before? Uh, not to this extent, but I, I have hosted Thanksgiving and made my own turkey. This went a little bit further, but I feel like I kind of had an idea of what to do. After you went through the process of making a turkey Thanksgiving from scratch, you mm -hmm. also explored a vegan option. I mean, that's always something I kind of struggle with with the series is having to kill animals. Personally, I, I feel it's, it's a kind of a good thing that I have to do it just to kind of remind myself where this meat actually comes from and to actually be willing to do it myself rather than just paying somebody else to do it. Um, so I always felt like that was a crucial aspect but there's always people who get offended by that, who aren't comfortable seeing an animal die. So I, I thought I'd try and approach Thanksgiving from a different angle. The, this was last year. And make a vegan tofurkey for Thanksgiving. To learn how to make tofu, I actually enlisted an expert. And for some help, I joined up with Hmong chef Yia Vang, who grew up making tofu. Can you tell me a little bit about your business? Our pop-up kitchen is called Union Kitchen. So we travel from restaurant to restaurant. And what we do is we use their space. We've been doing that for almost two years now. All right, well, thank you so much for helping me with this. Yeah. I think it turned out great. I'm gonna take it home, cook it, and see how, see how it tastes. Yeah, I'm excited to see how it turns out. So explain that process a little bit, because although it seems complex, it was really just a few ingredients. Yeah, so there's a few different meat substitutes. You got tofu that's made from soybeans. You got a compound called seitan, which is made uh, as an extract from wheat. And then there's nutritional yeast. So uh, to make all these, I grew my own soybeans and my own wheat and attempted to cultivate my own yeast, which is kind of hit or miss. And I think I ended up swapping it out and using a store-bought yeast starter to try and cultivate a little bit more. Because uh, it's a little bit of a challenge because you're kind of raising a microorganism and they uh, can be a little sensitive and sometimes you get a little outside rot in there too. <laughs> And a fun fact, a lot of people try to make the joke that I was like, you're killing the yeast because they're animals. They aren't animals. They're actually fungus. So you also made cornbread for this. Yeah. Want to do stuffing again because it's a Thanksgiving meal. You got to have all your side dishes. And uh, we had just done the candy corn. So I had a bunch of leftover corn. And uh, I figured I'd make some cornbread, which is pretty easy. You just got to grind up the corn. 
which isn't easy. <laughs> I think I almost broke a blender doing that. Because <laughs> uh, your coffee grinder was already shot from the acorns from the year before. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think it was pretty similar to the acorn. You just substitute the acorn with corn, add some regular flour and other stuff to it, and I... Uh, Actually, it was really good cornbread. Yeah, I remember eating it. <laughs> so you actually invited me over to partake in both Thanksgivings. Yeah, you were our brave volunteer slash guinea pig. Yeah, and I was pretty impressed. So I remember tasting the acorn stuffing, the turkey it was good, the cranberry sauce, which I'm normally not a fan of cranberry sauce, but that kind of like tipped the scales. Yeah, actually the same for me. Usually when I have it at family Thanksgivings, it's in a can, Mm -hmm. and it looks disgusting. Absolutely. And it hasn't really ever appealed to me, but actually making it myself, it's it's pretty good, actually. I was so surprised. Yeah, because it was always just a gross jello thing. Yeah. You always wished was jello, but it wasn't. (laughs) And then for the tofurkey, a year later, yeah, that didn't quite compare the same, but I was also very impressed with the results. I hadn't really ever eaten tofu or anything like that before, like consciously. Mm-hmm. You know, like free burrito week at Chipotle once, maybe. It tasted a lot like chicken dumplings to me. Yeah. The way you had prepared it and done the spices. And then the cornbread was great, of course, mm-hmm. uh, with the homemade butter, like usual. So I was a fan. It was really good. The other note I had was this year, I just interviewed a bunch of farmers. And one of the questions in this film series we were asking was, what do you wish people knew who aren't farmers? And the biggest thing is just know where your food comes from. Know what it takes to create the food. Yeah. And so I really like revisiting this project because it totally does that. Yeah. And I feel like that's been like the biggest impact on me of this whole series and all the food-based stuff is just how eye-opening it is, like how much work goes into making what you eat. And so often it's just like, oh, that's starting to get old. I should just throw it away. Or you just buy more food than you need and you just throw it away. It's just part of me inside of me dies now if I ever have to throw something away. It's like, so much work went into that. <laughs> Probably eat a lot of spoiled food now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank you for listening today. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please have a great holiday weekend no matter where you are. I also want to thank our experts, Lisa Rose, Don Elwinger, and Yia Vang. If you're interested in any of the resources we mentioned, we'll be including pumpkin-included recipes and some further reading in our description and show notes. You can check out those at makeeverything.tv forward slash simply complex. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to shoot us a message at podcast at makeeverything.tv. And we also have a P.O. box if you want to send us your ideas snail mail style. You can reach us at How to Make Everything, P.O. Box 14104, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55114. And we can't wait to hear from you. Thanks to Andy and Brian for helping me out and Studio 71 for making this possible. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Apple Podcasts is awesome. Spotify is awesome. Google Play is awesome. All those other apps to listen to podcasts are awesome. Thank you so much for supporting us. Thanks for subscribing and listening. We look forward to next time. See you soon. All right, so I'm not sure how cold this is going to (laughs) be. But I tried to put it in the freezer so it was cold enough. It's a little cold, maybe.
It's amazing. <laughs> All right, there's the ready whip if you want it. All right, nice and cold. Yeah. Try it? Yep. Cold pumpkin pie for breakfast. Hmm. Not too bad. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. That's like just the perfect amount of cold. <laughs> like too cold and it it feels like too much like ice cream. Mm. Like pumpkin ice cream, but so I actually have not had breakfast today, so this is really my breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> Breakfast to champions. So what's the verdict? It's good. Okay, so I'm not completely crazy? No. Okay. I would have this for breakfast. All right, now time for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> what's for lunch? Uh, we're going to do more pumpkin pie for lunch. Oh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Guess what's for dinner? Pumpkin pie? No, turkey. Come on. <laughs> yeah, so the next episode we have planned is a library one. Okay. So Daniel, I don't think we've introduced Daniel yet on the podcast. No. So, Daniel interviews some a librarian. We talk about what do librarians do nowadays? 